Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest drivers, trends and moves in livestock, grain and fibre markets. My name's Olivia Agar. I hope you're all doing well. With this year marking an extreme low for Australian cattle slaughter, this has meant very limited supplies being available to our key export customers, which leaves the door open for other exporters to step through. So with this in mind, today's episode, we're getting some insight into another top beef exporter. We're joined by Albaro Piera, Head of Market Access and Intelligence at INAC in Uruguay, to chat about some of the developments in South American beef production and where that product is ending up. Now, before we get into it, a quick wrap around the markets. It looks as though the lamb market might have hit its winter peak last week, with prices softer in most states this week. The weak Aussie dollar will be helping to support demand in our export markets, though, which is one of the drivers behind the very strong mutton prices that we're seeing. So young cattle prices improved this week, while feeders and heavy cattle lost ground. And for international grain, prices haven't had much impact on the local market. Wheat has rallied recently, but it's still very historically cheap in international markets and barley is very cheap compared to both international feed grain markets and local wheat markets. So there's a quick update. We'll get into the episode now after a thank you to today's sponsor. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms where animals are raised in free-range environments are grass-fed from start to finish and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Alvaro, to have a chat about the global beef trade, particularly with some insights on Uruguay and South America broadly. So welcome to Commodity Conversations. Thank you very much, Olivia. Thank you for for having me in your podcast. Beautiful. Well, just before we get too far into the beef chat today, you work for INAC, which is based in Uruguay, and many of our listeners might not have heard of INAC before. So can you just tell us a bit about what INAC is to start off with? Yeah, excellent. I, I, I think the most uh, direct way to, to, to say what we do is very similar to what MLA does in Australia. So we, we try to provide a set of public goods to, to the meat chain as a whole. So we do marketing, uh, we do also some uh, information uh, publishing, and that's basically also some controls, industrial controls, but very similar to what MLA does in Australia is what we try to do in Uruguay. Great. Well, we all know how important Meat and Livestock Australia is to the sector here, so that's a really good comparison to have in mind. Um, I haven't been to Uruguay, Alvaro, but I, I do know it's quite a small c- country compared to some of the big neighbours of Argentina and Brazil, but it's definitely big on beef for its size. I think uh, last time I heard it was the highest per capita beef consumption is in the world. Is that still the title that it's got? Yeah, going, going a little bit uh, earlier in that question, I think we are uh, small compared to our neighbours, but if you throw Uruguay in Europe, we will just be a, a, an average country. It's, I think what, what uh, grasps the attention is the, the fact that we have a very uh, low population. 
and as a result, a very uh, high land availability. And as a result, we, we, are, we have a very an, a large agricultural surplus. And a byproduct of that is that we eat a lot of meat. But in general, we are a very a large uh, agricultural exporter and 75% of our exported goods are agri-products. And that is the, the result of having a lot of space for a very low population. Yeah, so a smallish country, but a big consumer of beef and big exporter of beef. So can you tell us a bit about the beef industry in Uruguay? I mean, what sort of production systems are people running and what are the key beef markets? Yeah, the, first of all, the, there is an issue on, on scale. If you compare it to, to Australia, I think we can safely say that the, the Uruguayan uh, bovine stock is uh, three times smaller than the Australian one. And then there is also an issue in, in productivity. We, we are running a, a things a little bit slower over here in terms of, of reproduction and in terms of, of fattening. So as a result, I think that uh, beef production over here is four times smaller than in Australia. And a part of this issue of, of going a little bit slower is that uh, we are not so reliant on feedlots. Maybe a little bit over 10% of our slaughter is uh, short grain fed in, in Australian terms. Mm -hmm. And I think that right now Australia is, is close to 50 or between 45 and 50%. So I, I think that's a very big difference. We are much more reliant on, on natural pastures and, and grasslands in, in general. Then a key issue is that we export 75% of what we produce. So I think uh, both we can relate on that. And, and the breeds are uh, British breeds, mainly uh, Hereford and, and Angus. We do not have uh, uh, tropical breeds for such as uh, Brahman and, and, and the like. And as a result, we export uh, roughly four to five percent of, of the global beef exports uh, come from Uruguay. That's our our market share, four to five percent. In some parts of the globe, we are basically absent, such as uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East, uh, North Africa. We, we do not export so much to those markets. But on the other hand, we, we have a strong presence in China. We are 11% of the Chinese market. If you go into a particular market, such as the bone-in Chinese market, I think we can go up to 30, 40% of that particular segment. In EU, in the chilled beef uh, segment of the EU, we are 20%. And in, in the grass-fed, uh, an organic niche of, of uh, the US, we're also very strong. But uh, that's basically what we do and uh, who we are. There's a really good overview there, Alvaro. And some of those markets we do both compete in. I know Uruguay has been working a lot on improving traceability systems over the years and making sure that product is entering the high-quality markets. The Chinese market has really become key for a lot of the big exporters since 2019 when that African swine fever fueled demand for protein just ramped up and that did cause a lot of shifts in what were the traditional beef trade flows in recent years. And I mean, that's definitely made things interesting for us. But what are some of the key shifts in beef trade that you're watching and have found really interesting? Well, I think you, you hit a very relevant topic. I think the most relevant topic 
in beef trade in the last decade, that is basically China. I think we, we could be speaking the, the whole week about China. Uh, China was 1% of the market 10 years ago, and the market was a $20 billion market. And right now the market is, is double, it's 40 billion, and China is 25% of that. So I think uh, that, that China has, has uh, brought a, a lot of, of, of news, of new stuff. Uh, this is very clear, but once uh, you go into detail, I think there are a lot of things to, to study of this Chinese phenomenon. I think uh, talking about Latin America and Australia, I think that the, Lat the, the Chinese uh, surge has deteriorated a little bit the, the sanitary advantage that Australia had. For example, 10 years ago, Australia was able to export to 80% to of the global market. If you consider all the importers and all the products, Australia was able to move in 80% of the market. And, and that figure right now is 85%. So Australia improved a little bit. But for the Latin American countries, this improvement was a lot higher uh, due to the fact that uh, we are all exposed to China and China is getting larger and larger. So while Australia moved from 80 to 85% of market access, all the Latin American countries went from 40 to 60%. Uruguay is a little bit higher, it's in between, is 70%. But I think it's very clear that uh, this surge of China has uh, made us, made Latin American countries and, and Australia, uh, let's say, face each other in that specific market. And there, are, there is less and less uh, space, less and less markets where Australia is not exposed to Latin American competition. I think just uh, Japan, Korea, and Southeast Asia are the, 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 the last uh, safe heavens for, for Australia. But right now we are face-to-face we are -face in China, also in the US, also in the European Union. So I think this is a, a big shift in, in the last maybe 10 years. Our sanitary capacities are getting stronger and stronger, uh, and we are getting able to, to explore and to, to export to the to largest share of that of that import market yeah it's a really interesting point and i think the problem for australia or the challenge at the moment is that we are very supply constrained so where we were holding a lot of market share in some of those key markets we don't have the beef to send our usual volumes anymore and it is opening up the door for other countries like in south america and we've definitely seen a lot of a lot more u.s beef uh, capitalizing on that as well and going into China um, specifically for grain-fed loins and cuts and tapping into that demand. So that's a, a real challenge for us when we do uh, ramp up supply again is to hold on to that market share. No, I, I agree with you that, that uh, this particular year, uh, Australia has been the, the actor that is getting a lot of headlines uh, with uh, the supply restriction and, and, and losing a little bit of, of, of relevance in China, uh, but defending very well its position in Korea and also with the, with the massive FTA with the, with the UK. So I agree that, that Australia is, is getting the, the headlines uh, this year. Uh, I think there are countries that are more able to take advantage of this position. Uh, and it has to do with, with a lot of the issues that we were discussing before. I, I think sanitary access will determine which countries can benefit from, from that uh, re Australian retreat. 
So for example, Paraguay is not uh, able to export to China, so they are not uh, experiencing this benefit, but uh, Uruguay is able and the United States is also able. Uh, tariffs also play a role in order to determine to which countries can, can export to, to, to China and to the, all the other markets that Australia serves. So I, yeah, I think that 2021 is a, a very interesting year to see what is happening. Yeah, and do you think Uruguay has really taken advantage of this shuffling around of trade opportunity this season? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, when we first ex- started exporting to China, we were uh, very much focused and we, we, we think, sorry, we thought that the main advantage was to, to increase the value on so, of some cuts that were not uh, as expensive as other high value cuts. So for example, uh, Xinjiang or some of the four quarter cuts or tendon ligaments or offals, edible bones, for example, a bone that is uh, exported to China increases its value tenfold. So we were very much focused on that. And we thought that the main value of China was that. But the last few years have shown us that, uh, that the high quality market of China is very, very uh, attractive and it has a lot of movement. And for example, we are uh, ramping up our chilled exports to China, which is a, a, a very big challenge because it's the most distant place on earth for us. <laughs> but, well, we are trying to make that. So if the shelf life is 90 days, the, the trip over there already consumes half of that. But we are already doing it, and uh, it's increasing tenfold in this first semester compared to the first semester 2020. So I think that the exporters are seeing this opportunity to try to, to explore the high-value market in China. Yeah, great. And you're listening to Commodity Conversations, and I'm chatting with Alvaro here. And one of the other big news stories of recent months has been the halt and the uh, limits on Argentine beef exports. Now, what do you think about this, Alvaro? Well, I think that uh, the headlines were very dramatic, and uh, I think it, it was not very clear what was happening. But when you study effectively what the regulation does, it's, a, it's an export restriction, but that restriction acts as a cap at 70 or 80% of a normal export level. So it's not a complete ban, it's a cap, and that cap, it's a 70, 75%, and there is a negotiation to take it to, to 80%. Uh, this cap is not, uh, let's say, homogeneous. It's, uh, it affects more uh, some markets, and that's because of the nature of the regulation. Uh, this regulation wants uh, barbecue cuts to stay in Argentina. So the flank, the navel, the plate, the ribs have to stay in Argentina. But then you can have uh, most of the other cuts exported uh, once you, you uh, take into consideration this cap. So you can export loins and, and, and all the, the high value cuts. They can go out of Argentina. And you can also take advantage of the uh, tariff rate quotas that Argentina has. So as a result, it's not a complete ban. It's a, a particular ban on a particular set of cuts. So that's my, my main uh, point. This will have a strong effect in the bone-in market in China, because that's basically the barbecue cuts that are being uh, suspended for export. 
but all the other markets that Argentina serves, such as uh, the US or, or European Union, will remain in a somewhat stable situation. Okay, so the restrictions are only looking to impact certain markets, which could be opening up some room for other countries like Brazil, Uruguay or New Zealand to push more product into. Do you have any sort of idea on what sort of gap this could create? In terms of volumes, I think a rough estimate is that the exported volume can fall from 60,000 monthly tons to 50,000 monthly tons. And if you consider that this will happen over six months, it will be between 50 or 60,000 tons of uh, less Argentinian beef in, in the market. I think that's basically it. And I will give the, the audience the, to make the judgment call if it, that is a lot or, or that is not a lot. But uh, that's basically it. One of the other markets, Alvera, where both Australia and Uruguay are competing is in export of live cattle into China. And I understand that's um, increased in recent times as a market for Uruguay. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Uruguay, is, it is exporting live cattle from in a very uh, strong, uh, in a very strong way in the last five years. Uh, Turkey was the main market, but uh, Turkey had a massive devaluation on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, there were some domestic policies that had the goal to promote the, the Turkish uh, farming system, let's say. So it was not so much, uh, there was not such a strong incentive to, to import uh, cat, live cattle into Turkey. So that shift in policy and that devaluation uh, deteriorated a little bit the, the markets that Uruguay had to, to, to place this particular product. And then there is China that, of course, is uh, importing more and more live cattle. So as a result, I think the, that the, the animals are there, the, the calves are, are there. We have more and more cows and are getting more and more efficient. What happens to those particular calves will, will depend on, on, Chinese, on the Chinese demand, both for, for the live cattle or both for, for, the, for the beef. <laughs> they are the main markets right now for both uh, beef and, and the live animals. So that will uh, basically... Uh, shift or, or forge how the, the trade flow ends up. Yeah, like like you said at the start, Alvaro, it's uh, all definitely a, a China story for, for all of us at the moment. And um, just in summary, I suppose, how, how is the outlook looking for um, South, America, South American cattle producers at the moment? I think that the outlook is very positive, uh, particularly for those countries that had, had the sanitary access to China. Uh, because that already gives a, gives a constant demand for the product. So I think that the outlook is very posi- positive. Sorry, the, the, the prices are very strong. And right now there is a, a strong uh, incentive to, to keep producing and to, to keep trying to satisfy that uh, demand in the other side of the globe. Well, that's, it's a great place to wrap up. And thank you so much for your insights today, Alvaro. From an Australian perspective, South America seems to be increasingly competitive in some of our key markets so it's very important for us to keep an eye on it and we really appreciate your insights but before we do go though we do like to end these podcasts on a bit of a left field question and we're all intently watching the olympics at the moment and just this week the aussie teams had a great week particularly in the swimming which we always like to highlight because we're quite good at it Uh, but what sport is uruguay really getting behind 
we are supporting a lot our rowing team. Uh, we do have uh, a lot of, of, of Olympic members on that particular sport. Our national team of soccer is not there. So that was a very bad news for us because that's the, the main sport over here. But uh, we are right now following very closely how rowing goes. Well, good luck with it, Alvaro. And we really appreciate you sharing your time today. And we hope to have you back on again in the future. Thank you very much, Olivia. And it will be my pleasure to, to be again in this podcast. Thank you to our listeners for tuning into another episode of Commodity Conversations. As always, please share the podcast around to your friends, family and colleagues. We're also taking on new sponsors at the moment for the podcast, so please get in contact with us if that's of any interest. Take care and we'll be back in a week's time.